This morning, we are entering the third week in our message series, uh, which has been entitled The Always God. So far, if you have been here, we have talked about how God is always speaking. We've talked about how God is always hearing. And last week, Calvin brought a wonderful message about how God is always seeing. And this week, we're exploring how God is always pursuing us. So no matter how far you might feel from God this morning, um, how silent maybe God seems to you, how confused your life might be, today's message is for you. One of the things about me, just a little illustration about my own life as we get into this, is uh, I am a runner. I'm not a jogger, I'm a runner. And uh, I'm one of those people that you see running on Bay Street with a lot of reflective clothing, uh, fighting traffic like a bunch of crazy people early in the morning. That's me. And I, I, I found out that I'm not very fast, but I like to run very long. And so that's led me into the world of marathoning. And I even ultra marathoning, my longest race was 70 miles, uh, 70 mile run in the Appalachian Mountains, which is like one of my greatest accomplishments. So I'm gonna use this platform to boast about that. But, but as you'll see, I'll be humbled in a second here. I, I didn't start off as a runner, I was a college athlete, I was a soccer player, and I didn't enter my first road race until I was in college. It was a 5K, so that's three miles, and I was pretty fit, I was young, and I entered this race. It was, a, it was a Halloween race, so it happened at night, and people dressed up in costumes, but not me. I was there to win, and I came ready, and I was loose, and I got to the starting line, and I realized I really didn't know a lot about distance running at that level, but I saw other people dressed up looking really silly, and one guy caught my eye. He was dressed as an M&M, and, and he had this huge M&M kind of costume with just his eyes sticking out. He had green tights, and I said to myself, whatever happens in the next half hour, I am not losing to that M&M. So sure enough, we line up, the gun starts. What does the inexperienced runner do? Go as fast as you can, right? I just took off. Pretty quickly, it caught up to me that I can't run that fast for that long. And I started to tire, and then I got really tired, and then I got really, really tired. And at that point, in the dark, in the streetlights behind me, this big shadow started to come over in front of me. And I realized at that point that the M&M was gaining ground and gaining ground quickly. And so I picked it up and the M&M picked it up and pretty soon it was me and the M&M we were side by side, the M&M was ahead, I was ahead, the finish line was there, and the race ended. I'd like to say I beat the M&M that day. I did not. The M&M defeated me. He had chased me down, and he had won the race between us. Although I was beaten by the M&M, I admit that the M&M was able to pursue me in a way that I did not think that he could. I was very impressed by the pursuit, the relentlessness, the commitment of the M&M. Well, in the Bible, I'll use that as a transition, 
we see that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. God is a pursuing God. And unlike my Eminem friend, God does not pursue us to overtake us or to defeat us or to humiliate and embarrass us. But God pursues us because he loves us and he desires for us to be in his family forever. And it's this kind of bold and aggressive, never giving up pursuit that we're going to read about this morning in Luke chapter 15. In this chapter, we find a parable, actually we find three parables that teach one big lesson. And the lesson is this, God pursues the lost. And the reason Jesus came to earth was to pursue. Jesus came to earth to chase down, to search for, to seek out those of us who are lost. And in the three very well-known parables we're gonna look like, found in Luke 15, Jesus illustrates this point of what it looks like for a, a God of love to pursue lost people. And we're gonna look at this, but first we need to look at the word lost, because we're gonna see it a couple of times. It shows up two times, in the parable that we're gonna read of a lost sheep, shows up two more times in the parable that we're gonna read about a lost coin, and it shows up another time in the parable that we're gonna read about the lost son. But before we do that, let me, uh, I got a slide for you. I lose things. Here's my question for you. Which of these things are you most likely to lose? Glasses, what is it? Yeah, after our child was two years old, I'm still finding pacifiers laying around. It's like, I don't, they're just popping out of things. Wallet, phone. Most of us, we know what it's like to lose something. We know that feeling, that frustration of losing items that are important to us or maybe not important to us. There's a study that in the U.S., the average person spends 2.5 days a year looking for lost items, which costs an astounding $2.7 billion in replacement costs. That's a lot of money for lost items. And maybe here in the Bahamas, we're a little bit better, but with the cost of living, I don't know, that, that $2.7 billion, we might be, be testing that even with a smaller population. Worse than losing things is us being lost ourselves, right? That can happen as well. Maybe worse than being lost yourself is being in a car with somebody who hates to be lost. That's like the ultimate worst thing. Luckily with GPS, we don't get lost as much, but it still happens. But the truth is, there's nothing more hopeless. There's nothing more frustrating than losing something or being lost yourself. And it's here that Jesus takes this word. He takes this word lost and he applies it to describe those of us who are not in a relationship with God. He says those people are lost. And this word that he uses in the original Greek to define, to, to say lost, it's, it's a lot stronger than the English word that we use for lost, where we're like, lost can be sort of just misplaced or a little confused or just not know where you are. 
In the original Greek, the word lost is much more strong than that. It means this. It means being in a state of ruin. So if somebody is lost, they are in a state of ruin, biblically speaking. It means to be utterly destroyed. It means to waste away or to be totally decimated. And in fact, it's the same word that we use a lot when we, you hear maybe John 3.16 quoted. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That word perish in other places is translated lost. Elsewhere, we learn about people who are lost and they're described in the Bible in, in very vivid terms. In Romans 8, it says that those who are lost are hostile to God. Those who are lost are separated from God and they have no hope. Those who are lost are in a dominion of darkness and they are under condemnation, John 3.18. So when we say, when, when we God says, when we say that God pursues the lost, we're saying that God pursues these kinds of people. God pursues those who are perishing. He pursues those who are wasting their lives away. God is pursuing those who are in a state of ruin, who have been decimated by enemies. And we're saying that God is pursuing those who are not in relationship with Jesus. These are the people that God pursues. And that's why Jesus tells these three parables we're going to read in a minute to a crowd of people who were lost and also to a group of religious leaders who didn't think they were lost but really were. And what Jesus is going to do for these religious leaders is he's going to just blow their mind. He's going to explode their idea of who God is and how he operates. So the passage begins in Luke 15. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you have a phone and you want to look on your Bible on your phone, you're welcome to do that. And I will have a number of the verses, almost all of them, up on the screen. But it's great to follow along in your own scripture. So in Luke 15, verse 1, it begins by saying this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now these people represent those who are lost, and we can conclude that the reason they were drawing near to Jesus was because they felt comfortable around him. We have to conclude that Jesus wasn't passing judgment on them or looking down on them, but he was compassionately speaking to them about the true nature of their condition as lost people. Jesus was showing them love. Jesus was caring for them. He was showing concern. And we see that they were literally just clamoring around him to be able to hear more about what it means for them to be lost and how to be found. But look what happens next in verse 2. It says, the Pharisees and the scribes, they began to grumble about Jesus saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
It doesn't take long in the story, does it, before this tender moment of a crowd eager to know how to become unlost is interrupted by a group of self-righteous and judgmental religious leaders. Never in a million years did these religious leaders view God as a God that would pursue people who were lost. There's a commentator, uh, William Barclay, who says it well. He's very insightful, and he says, no Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that. A great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is one absolutely new thing which Jesus taught about God, that he actually searches for us. A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling home to God in self-abasement and prayed for pity that they might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out and searched for sinners. So to say that these religious leaders were surprised and even offended by what Jesus was saying was an understatement. So Jesus tells three parables to drive home the point that the God of the universe is a God who pursues the lost. The first parable is about a lost sheep. It goes like this. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In this parable, we see that there's one little sheep out of 99 who's in danger, and it's that sheep that the shepherd is most concerned about. Do you know who the sheep represents? The sheep represents you, and the sheep represents me. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And then there's the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? The shepherd is obviously Jesus. And we know this because in John 10, Jesus makes it clear. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep in search of the one that is lost. And he searches and searches until he finds it. And when he finds it, he celebrates the sheep. He puts it on his shoulders and brings it home. Same with the lost coin. It says this, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and diligently seek it until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now the coin in this story, it's clearly of great value, isn't it? Some scholars think maybe the coin represented a day's wages. There's others who think that maybe the value of the coin is more nostalgic. It represents a coin that was sometimes represent 
used to represent marital status. It was used as jewelry. If you were here a number of weeks ago, uh, Tyrone, he showed us how to make jewelry out of pennies, and it was very interesting. But they used to wear coins to represent that they were married, and to lose one of these would be akin to sort of like losing your wedding ring. It would have been a big deal. And so this woman puts everything on hold, doesn't she? She lights the lamp, she sweeps the house, she seeks diligently. Nothing else is on her agenda until it's found. And once it's found, once it's tracked down, once the pursuit of the coin is over, what happens? Again, we're told she celebrates, she rejoices. And then there's the parable of the lost son. Now, we don't have enough time this morning to go through the the whole story. It'd probably be a sermon unto itself. But I'm going to assume that most of us are familiar with the story of the lost son. There's a young, immature son. He goes to his father, and he requests his share of the estate. The father, brokenhearted, understandably, allows the son the freedom to take over his what he, he was going to inherit. It would be sort of like saying to, to your parents, I wish you were dead. That's sort of the, the same statement. You know, it's, you might as well be dead. Give me what, what belongs to me now. This would have been heartbreaking for any father to hear. And the Bible tells us that the son, he, he gets the money, he goes to a far off country. It almost seems like he wants to get as far from home as he can. And we're told he squanders his property. He wastes the inheritance in reckless living. It was soon after that, he ends up hiring himself out as a servant. He takes a job feeding pigs. And the significance of that is if, if you are Jewish, pigs are unclean animals. It's very clear that this young man had reached the absolute bottom of bottoms, living in a foreign country where Gentiles live feeding their pigs. But look at how the story ends. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more bread than me? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your servant. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion toward him and ran. Now there's a couple things there to note. One is the father saw him a long way off. He was looking for him. He was searching for him. He was pursuing him. And so he puts that, that feeling of desire to be with his son in action and we're told he runs. Now, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, for a man of the house to run would have been the most humiliating thing that he could do, particularly to run after that son who wished he was dead and had squandered his inheritance in wild living. But he does it at great embarrassment to himself. And he gets to his son, and we're told he gives him a hug. He embraces him. He kisses him. And the son says to him his prepared speech. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, 
Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. The ring signifies his identity with the family. Only the sons could wear the ring. And he gives him a be- his best robe and he puts it on him and he brings a fatted calf and they kill it and, and they begin to eat and celebrate. And this, the father says this, for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. What a picture, isn't it? What what a wonderful story. What an image of a father running to hug and welcome his son home. The good news for us this morning, I want you to hear that. This is that God is, is still pursuing lost people like that today. He hasn't changed. Just as He did in the time of Jesus. God is still a God who pursues the lost. And as I I, I read this parable, that big lesson that God pursues the lost, it just jumps off the page. But after reading and after kind of looking at this passage a little bit more this week, I want to add a few more points to that, that big point that God pursues the lost. And that's this, that God pursues the one who is lost. God pursues the one that is lost. As we read those stories, did you notice how the word one kept popping up? In the Bible, they don't, there, was, there was no way to highlight things or bold text when the biblical writers were writing. So instead, what they often did was they repeated things that were important. Earlier, we, we just heard they, the word lost is repeated. But we see this word one repeated a number of times. Some have called this the value of the one. Back to the parables, look for the word one here. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Just so I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven and earth over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then when the story of the coins, or what woman having 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, seek diligently until she founds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the one coin I had lost. The father, he had two sons, but it was the one that was lost that he was grieving for. It was the one that was lost that he ran through the town, humiliating himself to hug and to kiss and embrace the infant value of one. You see the value of the one in the searching that takes place, the leaving of the 99, the turning of the house upside down. You see the value of the one in the the celebrations that ensue. The shepherd picks up the one lost sheep and he, he proudly displays it on his shoulders as he comes back to the flock. The woman calls her friends because of the one coin and says, rejoice with me. The father throws a party and kills the fatted calf. You can't read these parables without seeing the value for that which is lost just jumping off the page at us. 
And we shouldn't be surprised because when Jesus defines his mission, when he says, here's what I came to do, he says this in Luke 19, he says, for the son of man, referring to himself, he says, came to seek and to save what was lost. If you don't get Jesus, the one thing we need to get is that Jesus came for lost people. That was his mission. And that's the good news of the gospel for us this morning. This is why he came and he lived the perfect life that none of us could live but was required by a perfect God. He did that on our behalf because we were lost. And because we were lost, he also died on a cross. And he paid a punishment that none of us would want to pay. He took our place so that we would no longer be lost and have to experience that ourselves. Romans 5.8 says it well. Well, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were lost, Christ died for us. So as we close, if you're here this morning and you're lost, I want to submit that maybe you're here because God is pursuing you and he wants to let you know very clearly that he wants you in his family, that he wants to have a relationship with you, that he is longing for you to come home. And if that's you, my encouragement is to give up going your own way because you're only gonna end up feeding the pigs. To give up doing your own thing. To give up running, running away. Because we can't outrun the one who's been called the hound of heaven. We might try to run from the God who's pursuing us, but eventually he will catch us. But let him catch you before you make the mistakes and have to face the consequences of poor decisions that the young man in the story had to face. If you're here this morning and maybe you were lost and you're like, that was me. I was the sheep. I was the coin. I was the son. Then my, the call for you is to, to live out of gratitude for what God has done for you to rejoice in your salvation and to join Jesus in his mission, his mission to save the lost. And there's so many ways you can do that. You can do that by praying for the lost. There are people in my life who I can't have conversations about Jesus with, but I can pray for them. You can join Jesus' mission by getting involved in ministries specifically designed to reach lost people. You can join Jesus in his mission by joining with others and helping them to learn about Jesus who have come into relationship with him and need discipled. You can equip yourself by getting involved in small groups here in the church so you can be better equipped to speak about the good news of Jesus and talk to those who are lost. But the call for those who are no longer lost is to join Jesus in his mission, the great commission to take this good news to the nations in the ways that God has gifted and empowered you to. 